Let's turn to the scriptures, Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, verse 13. We've been reading this, uh, a negative attitude and a positive concentration. A negative attitude and a positive concentration. Verse 13. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth under those things which are before I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And let us therefore as many as be perfect, be thus minded, and if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your son. Take your word, Father, and inscribe it in our hearts. And Lord, only you can give us peace of God that passes all understanding. And only you can reveal the things of God to your people. And only you, Father, can cause the dead to be raised to life. We ask you, Lord, to help us to release, to put behind us, to drop down every negative attitude that would hold us from back from serving you, from praising you, worshipping you, from loving you, from knowing you, and that you would give us a positive concentration focused on the prize, the high calling of God in Christ Jesus this morning. Help us to see the bigger picture when we're in our storm and help us to see the finished tapestry the weaving of our lives that you are preparing for your people. Glorify your son, glorify his name in this place in our hearts and through your word we pray. For Jesus' name's sake we ask it. Amen. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind And reaching forth to those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul was saying, I have counted. We're going to look at that word again. Many people have told me that they've been really blessed by these morning meetings and the study of them. And that word counted is the word logizomi. And it means to come to a a finished, calculated, reckoned, counted conclusion. And Paul had looked at everything from every angle and he realized he doesn't know everything and he can't understand everything and he doesn't know why things happen and he can't understand why things happen in one way and in another. And he's even looking at his own ministry under the the, the teaching of Gamaliel through the Hebrew scriptures, uh, he, he was a, a Pharisee of the, the Jewish sect. He can't understand now because all of that has can be put to use through his teaching that he learned, knowing the scriptures, but everything that he thought he knew about God was put to waste in the sense that the Christ of God reveals himself. 
And through that revelation, he realizes there's a world here that I just do not know. Can't comprehend. And I can't know the mind of God unless it's through the Holy Ghost. Paul comes to this conclusion to say there's things that are happening and things that go on and I just don't understand them. In fact, in my ministry, he says, when things are happening and there's revival on one side and, uh, and, and there's a riot on the other, there's blessings and there's beatings. Why, Lord, does these things happen? And he, he, he calculates it all up, tries to understand what's going on, and he comes to something that is settled, counted, calculated, reckoned up, and he comes to a conclusion which means once and for all, it's put in his mind and his heart. I don't know. I don't understand it all. But I know one thing. I must set it all down. And all the things that have happened to me, and all the beatings that I've come across, and the shipwrecks, and all the stonings, and chased out of towns and villages, all those things that have come upon me. He says, I'm serving God, and I don't know why these things are happening, but this is one thing I do know, that he is sovereign, that he is over all of it, that he is in full and complete control, that my God is still on the throne. For the one who called down for me, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. He says, one thing I've settled in my heart after much searching is, no matter what I will, no matter what I think, no matter how much I worry, no matter how I fret, it's out of my hands. And I can't understand it. But he's still in control. We take that for our lives, that no matter what you're facing, no matter what comes your way, no matter what you're trying, no matter how hard it is, no matter how deep it goes, no matter how strong that current pulls you, no matter the trial or the testing, no matter what comes your way, know this for an assurance that you may not understand it, you may not be able to grasp hold of it, you may try and work it out, think it through and we all do that but know this that it's out of your hands it's in his hands and when it's out of your hands it's in better hands and when it's out of your hands then you're not in control then start thanking God for it that it's out of your hands because when it's in God's hands it's in better hands and it's coming to that place where to say I have counted I haven't apprehended that which I've been apprehended for, he says. In other words, I don't fully even know what my ministry is because it seems that the Lord's leading me one way, one minute, and suddenly there's a turn in the road. Suddenly there's a swerve. Suddenly there's a bump. But I always end up going on a different way, a different path. But I always know that God comes through for me and he's always there with me. In spite of how I feel, in spite of what I think, in spite of what's going on. He says, I haven't apprehended even the fullness of the things of God and even my ministry. He says, but I know this. God has a plan and a purpose for my life. And brothers and sisters, take that on board this morning. When you hit those bumps and that curve 
And that road changes. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. It's a plan at times that you feel is hard. And you feel that you can't carry on. And you feel you can't get through. And you feel it's just too much. And the mountain's too high. And the valley's too low. And the river's too wide. And the ocean's too deep. And the winds are too strong. And you can think all of these things and wonder and ponder at them. Worry, fret and fear over them. And we do that. Take it on board as this. He has a plan in your life that in all those things, God will work together for the good to them that love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. And if you're in Christ this morning, you're called according to his purpose. He has a purpose for you, a purpose to live, a purpose to serve, a purpose to go on with him, a purpose not just in in a church setting, a purpose in your home life, a purpose in your work life. He has a purpose in society for you. He has a purpose for you in everything. Paul says, I haven't fully apprehended that for which I've been apprehended for. I don't really know what this is all about. All I know is what he has given me. And he's given Paul a lot. Abundance of revelations, Paul says he gave me. He says, but that's one thing I do. Forgetting. You know, sometimes the worst thing that holds us back is when we don't forget the things that harm us. And they hinder us in our spirituality, hinder us in our walk with God. They hinder us that we, we become frozen, as it were. We become, uh, we become stale in our walk. We come down and depressed in it because we're holding on to things that we need to let go. Paul says, there's things that's happened to me that I, you know, I, I could just remember and hold on. Just I'm going to let it go. And I'm going to press toward the mark. Reach forth. And the idea of reaching forth there is, I'm going to take the faith that is in me. And by faith I'm reaching out that God has it all in control. And I'm going to reach out to the plan and purpose of my destined end in Christ. There's a goal for you. There's a target. There's a mark. It's a prize of the high calling on God in Christ Jesus. God has more for you. He does not want you to languish and to laze and to be lethargic in your walk. He wants you to be up and doing, dropping all those things that hinder you, that make you think wrong, stinking thinking as someone once called it, that makes you think that you're worthless and you're hopeless and you're useless and you're nothing and you're a nobody. You're, 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 a, you're a, a ruler. You're a prince. You're a, you're, a, uh, you're a king and a priest of God this morning. You're a child of the Most High God. You're adopted into the family of the Lord Jesus this morning. God has sent His Son, shed His blood, that you may be redeemed. You're worth more than this world could afford this morning. Uh, you take the whole world and, and you wet up in the, the scales and the balances of God's uh, uh, judgment and justice and you take all the riches and the glories and the beauties and the wonders and, and the oil and, and the gas reserves and all these things we hear them talk about on the news and the precious stones and the diamonds and the silver. You take it all and add it together. Take the whole planet and set it on one side of the scale and set your soul on the other. Your soul, the real you, your will, your emotions, your feeling, your intellect, your knowledge, who you are inside, weighs more than all of this planet, the value that is. You're of more value than all of this world. 
God knew that. You might not feel that. You might not think that. But God thinks like that. And God sent his son to shed his blood for you. That you're worth more than this world could afford. And we destroy our lives by thinking that we're unloved by God. We destroy our lives and our walk with him by thinking there's no forgiveness in God. There's no help in God. We destroy our lives and we destroy our thinking. We destroy our walk with God and our love relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ by thinking that, you know, maybe God won't accept me back again into the fold. I've I've let him down so many times. And that's a destructive thing for our lives. Listen, God's love doesn't depend on who you are or what you can do. God chose to love you. He chose to love you. And when he chose to love you, he didn't call it back again. We looked at how this word logizo me for I count. Paul counted it up. Couldn't understand it. He counted everything from every angle. And remember if there's, I'll give you an example. If there's a 50 pounds in my bank account, no matter how much I wish there was a knot on the end of that or two or three knots on the end of that, looking at the the statement of what it really is, in other words, without trying to fool myself, without trying to think it into being five million pounds or five thousand pounds, it won't change. It's still 50 pounds. It's my opinion and what I think will not change what it really is. It's still 50 pounds in an account. And the word of God is the same and what God thinks about you, what Christ has done on the cross to justify you will not change. It is what it is. It's the idea of look at it, count it all up, see the blessing of God for you, see the payment of your sin. Your debt has been wiped clean already on the cross of Calvary. And we looked last week at how that, 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 that in Romans chapter 4, God did not impute, impute our sin unto us. And of course we looked at that word impute is the same word. Look, eat to me. God didn't count up all you have done. He didn't count up all your wrong ideas and all your wrong thoughts and all your wrong motives and the, the filthiness of the flesh and the, the pride of life and the desires of our hearts. And He didn't count it all up and then say, you know what, I'm going to pour this upon you and I'm going to pour my wrath on you and I'm going to consume you and you're going to die a, 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 an eternal death. He didn't do that for us. Instead, he, he counts it all up and he sees it all. And his great love for us takes it off us and placed it upon his only begotten son on the cross of Calvary. And he poured out his wrath for the sky turned black at the cross of Calvary when Christ was dying. The, 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 the sky turned black. And he cries, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Or Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. Why have you forsaken me? Or why have you left me in this God-forsaken, sin-cursed place? That's how much God loved you. And still does. He didn't impute it to us. He didn't count it up. He counted it up. And he put it on him. And now he counts up what he done. The giving of his life. The shedding of his blood. And he puts that on us. And when God looks at you in Christ. When God looks at me in Christ. 
He counts up all that his son has done. He counts up the, the, the blood, the shedding of his blood. He counts up the, the bearing of our sin and our sicknesses. And he, he, he counts it all up and he adds it and he wears it. And he says, it's all done. It's all paid for. There's no more sin on our behalf. And he imputes righteousness in us. In other words, that counted thing of Christ, that counted work of the cross, that counted precious blood is placed upon you and I. How much he loves you. So when you go to the presence of God, you say, Lord, would you still accept me? He says, accept you. I've given everything for you. I have given my everything for you. I have given all that heaven affords for your soul. I've given the very darling of my bosom for you. I've given you the apple of my eye. I've given my very heart For you that you may be saved. Because I love you. And you're asking me this morning. Would you accept me? I give the glory of heaven. I give the word to be manifest in flesh. In other words. I give myself for you. And you're asking me. Do I love you? I think sometimes we insult the Lord when we come like that. Oh, it's good to have a heart of conviction and repentance. It's good to have that. It's good to come before him softly and say, you know, I love you, Lord. I worship you. But understand this, that heaven's best was given for you heaven's best and man raises up an altar of works a man raises up an altar of ceremony a man raises up an altar of religion a man raises up an altar of sacrifice a man raises up an altar of his own personality and he says look at all these God aren't they great and God says son let me tell you it's like filthy rags before me look at him Look at him. Look at my son. Look at him. And then tell me, can you come with ceremony and sacrifice and ritual? Tell me, can you come with religion and your denomination? Tell me, can you come because there's some man who says that you don't need to be saved and be a good person. He says, tell me that. Now look at my son, the glory of God on a cross. Old hymn writer said, since from his bounty I have received such proof of love divine, had I a thousand hearts to give, Lord, they should all be thine. My prayer this morning for me is, Lord, help me to give you even just this one that I have. I just need to give you this one. He's not asking you to give you a thousand hearts because you don't have it. He's just saying, would you give me your heart? He says to Peter, when Peter denied him thrice, he says, Peter, lovest thou me more than these? He says, do you love me, Peter? 
Do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than the world and the fishing boats and the things that you prospered in before and the past work experience? Do you love me more than all of these things, Peter? Do you love me more than that? And Peter, the one who denied him and says, I'll go on to prison and on to death for you. Peter stands there and he looks bewildered because he's already denied him three times within the same night. Now how could he come before Christ? Yet Christ came for him because he loved him. He says, do you love me more than these, Peter? Peter turning and knowing what his heart was like says, Lord, I know that I love thee. And or as Jesus says, do you love me agape love? A love that is called out of the heart according to the preciousness of the object which is loved. In other words, Peter, am I like the object that's loved in your heart? Do I just call the love out of your heart, Peter? Peter, when you, when you think about me, do you just love me? When you, when you, when you see me, Peter, do you, does your heart pour out of love for me? When I'm away from you, Peter, does your heart yearn to be with me? Do you, do, do you want my communion and my company and my fellowship so much that you'd follow me even to the end of the age and whithersoever the lamb would go? Peter, do I, do I call the love out of your heart, Peter? That's what Jesus is saying. More than the fishing boats, more than the world, more than everything else that's here. Peter, do you love me? See, the question is not does God love us, it's whether do we love him? For thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first and the great commandment, Jesus said. He says, do you love me more than these things? You know that I love thee. The word there is filio. You know I have a love for you, it means. No, I can't love you like that. Do you love me more than these things or do you love me more than the boats, the world? Do you love me more than the disciples love me? Some people think he means. Do you love me more than they love me? Because you're the one who said, Peter, not so long ago, Lord, you know, even though all these will forsake thee, I will never, I will never stop loving you. I'll follow you. They may, Lord, but I love you more than them. Let's be careful of a man's heart because we don't know his love for Christ, her love for Christ. Do you love me more than they love me? When we count it all up and calculate it and come to a conclusion, the word is not to do we, does God love us? He says, I have loved thee. Listen, with an everlasting love. Israel, though you have let me down and you've went into apostasy and you've backslidden from me and you've walked away from me and you've got up to no good and you've let the sins of the heathen nations around you come in and you've worshipped their gods and he says, I've put up with you. He says, I have, I have loved you through it all. I love you through it all. Christian, He's loved you through it all. See, when you wandered away, you went astray like a lost sheep. You see, when you, your heart turned rotten. And don't be gasping at that. Come on, let's be honest. See, when your heart turned rotten, because we all turn rotten sometimes. 
See, when the flesh crept in, you wanted the things of the flesh. See, when you became wayward and lethargic and lazy toward the things of God, and you couldn't be bothered anymore. When you got up to no good and walked away and done things you shouldn't have done and been places where you shouldn't have been. Or, and I believe in holiness of life, you know that. So please don't get me wrong. But see when you do that. See when you're sleeping, you're not conscious of him. Or when you're awake and you're maybe feeling him. He loves you through it all. He still loves you. Here's the thing. If you had a, a spouse, a husband or a wife, your husband loved you with all his heart, would you go out and say, well, he loves me, I can go and live how I like. I can go to run around with other men. I can treat him like a dog. Would you do that on his love? And if you did, what sort of person would you be? Treating a woman like that, if you're a, a, a man. You, you're, 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 not a, you're not a decent human being doing that on someone. You're just not right doing that. Because then your love comes into question. I wouldn't do it if I really loved them. But I can't help the lusts and the desires of my flesh after things. Now let's just think about this and come to a settled, calculated conclusion that in our love for Christ, in your love for Christ, how is he when you are treating his love like that? He just loves you all the time. And he's so good to you. And suddenly we find that our love comes into question. It's not, Lord, do you still love me? Because with his loving kindness he has drawn us. It's through his love, loving us all the time, which keeps us in line and tow, calling us back into the way. It's whether we love him or not. Paul looks at this and he says, I count logids in me. And we looked at how this, our sin is not imputed to us. It's not counted up and set on our shoulders as it were that we would be judged for but was put on Christ because God gave heaven. People might think, well, is that not a bit much? Is that not a bit strong? Is that not a bit silly to say God gave heaven? Brothers and sisters, I'll not judge your heart and don't judge mine, but let me say this to you. See, to me, Jesus is heaven. He's not just a man. He is God Almighty. And where Jesus says, there's heaven there. As the hymn writer said. To me, Jesus is central in everything. To me, Jesus is above all others. He stands out in the crowd. 
He's greater than King Saul, who was head and shoulders above all his brethren. Putting Christ in the midst, he is head and shoulders above all Saul's. He's bigger than Goliath, for he defeats the giants for us. He's the one who framed the earth and the stars and the moon. He's the one who became a man. And to me, Jesus is heaven. The Lord gave heaven when he gave Christ. He imputed not logizame, he imputed not our sin on us, but put it upon him. Here's one for you. If you go to Romans 4, you could read on down. And let me just read a few verses, and then I want to wrap this up this morning somewhere else. Let's go to Romans 4, just for a moment. In Romans 4, you know, nine times, nine times a word, the Greek word logizomai is used in it. And it's used on different words, but it's mostly for the word imputeth or imputed. And it can be the word reckoned as well. That's the same word as Paul says, I count all things. I count. And we must come to a finished, settled, calculated conclusion in our hearts and in our minds that we are loved by God. That we are justified when we are in Christ. That his blood has paid for our sin. His death has paid our penalty. And we must be settled in our minds and his bodily resurrection justifies us. Have it settled who you are in Christ. Adopted into his family, a child of the living God. Let your eye run down just for a few moments to verse 19. And be not weak in faith, he considered not his own body, now dead, when he was about 100 years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. This is Abram, who we'll call the Abraham just for the sake of it. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able to perform. And therefore, it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed if we believe in him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offences and was raised again for our justification. Now here we have the picture of Abraham. We looked at some of it last week. We can't go through. You can get a CD or download it if you wish. And this word, me means that he looked at what Abraham's faith was. And remember, it, we looked at how if someone works for a living, you have a moral and a legal right to go and ask for your wages. The, the employer becomes a debtor to you. So you have a moral and legal right to go and ask for your wages. But if your employer gives you something freely because he wants to give you it, it's grace. In other words, he gave it to you, it's free. You do nothing for it, you accept it. Believe, receive, and that's it. And that's how we're saved by grace. It's not that we do anything, but we receive it. Look at how Abraham believed what God had said. And it was counted to him for righteousness. In other words, it was, it was added, calculated, and concluded, 
uh, uh, came to the conclusion that Abraham believed God's word, believed what God had said, the bare word of God, and he trusted in the Lord. Now, time had passed and the promise hadn't come. Take note in this. Time had passed, promise hadn't come. When you go home, you can look at Genesis 15. And about verse 6, it talks about him counting it for righteousness for Abraham. And if you go to Genesis chapter 22, something happens in our, in our story here. And this is where Paul's telling us, he says, look, when Abraham believed God, something happened. Now, ladies, don't get angry with me when I say this because it's, uh, let me finish. Hear me out. When you read Genesis 22, it was Sarah. Her womb was barren. She was about coming touching 90 years of age. Abraham was looking on the 100 mark. And it says that Abraham basically, he wasn't in full working order at that age. And Sarah, she had no hope. Her, her womb was barren. But God's word didn't change. What God had said, the promise of God was alive, living, real. It was like a, it was like a, a, a living water. It was like an energy in the midst of something that was dead. And they were waiting on it starting to happen. Well, God said it, and I believe it. That sells it. So, Lord, will you send it? It didn't happen by Genesis 22. You'll read that Sarah comes, or Sarai, she's known at the time. We'll call him Abraham and Sarah. But. And Sarah comes to Abraham and says, Look, the Lord hasn't performed to me that which he said he would. Go and lie with my handmaiden, Hagar. But Abraham did, and she gave birth, Hagar gave birth to Ishmael. Now, when we go into our, our reading here in Romans 4, notice what it says. He staggered, Abraham staggered not at the promises of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that he, what he had promised, he was also able to perform. But Abraham, what? hold on a minute, you went with Hagar, and the Lord said that Abraham, Abraham, Sarah would have the, the baby. Sarah would have the child. Is there a contradiction there? What about when Jesus says in Luke 22, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to have you, they may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen your brethren. Or when you've come through this, you'll learn from it, and you'll be able to strengthen others coming through what you're going through. That your faith fail not, Jesus said, but Peter denied him as we talked earlier. Did Jesus' prayer not avail for him? Was it not strong enough? Did it not work? You see, you have to separate here that side of humanity where from, God's, from God's reality. And Christ is praying for Peter that his faith fails not. It wasn't Peter's faith that failed. It was his courage that failed. Think about it. Many times have you had faith in your heart and a wave of fear have come upon you and your courage has failed. But you know in the back of your mind and deep in your heart, Lord, I'm believing still. Lord, I'm believing still. Lord, I'm carrying on with you. Yet everything in you is screaming at you, run. Come on, let's be honest. Poor old Peter done the same. And let's not be too hard on Peter. Remember, Peter's the one who walked in water. 
he done things that other disciples didn't do. So when Abraham, what happened to him? But he was strong and he didn't waver, he had no unbelief. What happened to Abraham? Sarah was the one who pointed it to it. What happened to Sarah then? It was Eve who gave to Adam. Stay with me, ladies. Don't be falling out with me yet. It was Eve who gave to Adam. Adam, I want to tell you about something. And Adam partakes the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And the fall comes. So, ladies, (laughs) is it all your fault? You may say yes, he blames me on it all the time. The answer is no. It's not. In Christ we have a headship. In creation we have it also. And men and women are created. We are equal. But in spiritual standing, brethren, it's time to stand up and be a man. And if you're not leading your wife right, then your wife has a right to go and lead on with God and God. Abraham was not weak in faith at all. It wasn't Sarah's fault and it wasn't Eve's fault either. It was Adam's fault there and it was Abraham's fault here. And the reason it's their fault was because God said it to him. No matter what the other one says, whether it's your spouse or anyone else, you have a reality of God. You have the word of God. You have the promise of God. You have a walk with Christ. Nothing should pull you away from him. No matter if your wife says to you, that's it. I am not going on with God. Then you must say, I will serve the Lord then. I'll walk with God. Or if you're If your husband turns around and says, that's it, I'm not going on with God, sister, then you have the word of God, the promise in you to say, well, as for me and the rest of my house, we will serve the Lord. Look, I have to be careful what I say. There's someone I know close to me, and this fellow was going on really well for God. His wife was doing well too. But she was up and down and then she fell away altogether and he fell away after he was doing really well. And it came to pass that I started to look and say, if it wasn't for her, he'd go on with God. And I caught myself on. Hold on a minute. We can't blame other people for us not going on with God. You can't blame those who have hurt you for not going on with God. You can't blame those who have disappointed you for not going on with God. You can't blame even circumstances in your life, nor can you blame God for not going on with God. For many people blame God for things in their life and they stop going on with him. You must be strong in your faith of what God has told you. And don't blame your pastor for not going on with God because I've heard that one too. It's called excuses, excuses, excuses. Your walk with Christ is your walk with Christ. So walk with Christ. I'll finish by saying this. We'll pick it up, God willing, next week. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded what he had promised, he was able also to perform. Notice this. 
he was fully persuaded. No fully persuaded means. Abraham was, you know, where you put your hand to your forehead and you hit the top of your forehead like that, as if you're saluting. I've had it up to here. I've had it up to here. You know that way? Had enough. I've had it up to here. Well, the idea is like that here. Only Abraham, he says, I have the Lord in me. His promise is living in me. And I am full of his promise. I have it up to here. I am filled to the brim of the word of God. Filled to the brim of the promise of God. Filled to the brim of the spirit of God. I want to look next week in the Lord's will at the sacrifice. And then we'll go on briefly. I'll try and round this study up. The sacrifice when he takes Isaac up the mountain there. And here's the lesson for us. Sometimes we run ahead of God and we create our own Ishmael. Something that is not what God has planned for us in the perfect sense and tense. We create our own Ishmael. You know who Ishmael is in today's economy? Ishmael is the father of the Arab nations. I can't say every Arab is a bad, deceitful person, but you look at those Arab nations and you look what's coming out of those Arab nations and that's Abraham's Ishmael now turning around against us again. See, don't create your own Ishmael. Wait on the Lord. Wait on him. And he will bring it to pass. God bless us this morning. Time run on. And I just want to thank you for your attention. You've been tremendous.